Well, 2020 has been quite the year by any standard, disappointments, uh, but also I think some wins. And today's segment, that's what we're gonna focus on. We're gonna focus on some reflection for 2020, but also some uh, hope. What gives us hope for 2021 as we enter into a new year? It's our favorite time of the day, Counter Stories, a show by people of color, for people of color, and everybody else. My name is Luz Maria Frias, a Deputy Attorney General for the state of Minnesota. Any comments that I make and any remarks that I make and opinions that I have are solely my own and should not be attributed to my office. Don Eubanks, Associate Professor of Social Work at Metropolitan State University and Cultural Consultant. Anthony Galloway, Executive Director of Arts Us and Senior Partner at Dendros Group. And I'm Haley Lee, owner of The Other Media Group. So uh, let's get going on this. Uh, I know that we all have some comments and some ideas to make um, with respect to this topic. I'm going to throw it out there and I'll weigh in uh, as soon as uh, you folks are coming in on this. So let's hear it. Let's get going. Now, you know, everybody in their mama is going to be doing a, uh, oh, you know, looking back on 2020 kind of kind of thing. So I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to belabor the ridiculousness of it, although there's a whole lot of heartbreak for all the reasons that we know of. Um, but one of the things that I that just to keep it personal for us and our family, we when the when the uh, online learning stuff started going down and our kids realized that they weren't going to be going back to the classroom. They had all of the emotions, all of them, like all over the place. And we realized that we couldn't stay cooped up in our household, but also we had to stay safe because we have an immunocompromised situation, right? So we are trying to figure out what to do. And y'all remember, we got, we found an RV to rent and just busted out west um, and ended up mixing it up with, with, with folks <laughs> socially distantly across South Dakota on our way to Yellowstone just to try to have a mobile kind of classroom. Everybody's working digitally. And that that was that was something that that changed the game for our whole entire house. It was a whole reset button. The kids got to see monuments in nature. We got to teach about the native history across an entire time in the plains, which to which they when they get under their Zoom calls, they let their teachers have it. Um, my, my, my kids like, hold on, you haven't said anything about native people. Like, it's just awesome. Right. And so one of the hopes that I have is we, because of that experience, we were able to scrounge up money together, save up some stuff and get a cheap little pop-up tent camper. And we're actually going to hit the Southwest and another social in, in, in a part two. So what's got me hopeful about 2021 is just that this whole season really got us to figure out some cool new things that are good self-care for ourselves and to pay attention to that self-care. And I think 2021 is going to be a year, especially as the vaccine gets out there and, and we have uh, the proliferation of the vaccine so that folks can go out with confidence again. My hope for 2021 is that people get out and figure out new ways of interacting and taking care of themselves. That's my hope for 2021. All right, then. Um, that sounds uh, sounds like a lot of fun uh, and kind of makes me really reticent to tap in because I can't compare with all that fun stuff you're sharing with us, Anthony. Uh, mine is much more mundane for 2020 uh, in part, uh, but also exciting in other parts. I would say mundane wise is I have spent um, most of my weekends <laughs> cleaning out and organizing every drawer and cabinet in my house. Um, it brings me joy uh, to see that level of organization. I've been purging I've been purging before this year, but more so this time around. Um, and it's it's that sense of accomplishment that you are able to do this. And at a point in time when my husband and I are ready to downsize, we'll be positioned that much easier and quicker to kind of leave the home and not have all that stuff to, to mess with. Uh, more personally, I would say that I've been spending more time reconnecting not only with friends who... I haven't connected with in some time, but also family members and spending much more time by phone and uh, some Zoom time, but mostly by phone, having long, meaningful conversations. And that has been very fulfilling 
uh, on many levels to be able to have those connections and spending more time outside, although less time now that it's gotten as cold as it is in Minnesota. But taking long walks um, has been, uh, you know, another highlight of self-care. So connecting with friends and family, part of my self-care program, uh, organizing and cleaning out my cabinets and drawers, also what I would qualify as, as self-care as well. Not as exciting or glamorous as yours, but uh, meaningful nonetheless. And I'll weigh in on what I have to look forward to once I hear from, uh, from our colleagues. I don't want to be a downer, but I have. <laughs> however, 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 I have been feeling kind of like sad lately, kind of just about everything, you know, uh, with, I mean, in this country with the pandemic and folks not taking it seriously. I mean, even folks I know whose whole family, like their youngest is seven to their oldest who's 19 mom and dad all had COVID um, and still don't believe in it you know and still don't believe that it's a serious issue because they themselves um, didn't have um, severe um, symptoms and so I I'm feeling sad I'm feeling sad that um, the stimulus that you know, Bill, that we've all been talking about for a long time is really sad. Now that um, they've finally approved something, I'm feeling sad that the current administration is not cooperating with democracy and the election. Um, so, I don't know. I I feel I feel happy that the year is ending, but I I feel like I'm I'm really sad just about everything that's that's going on and so it's hard for me to say like oh I'm hopeful for this or that because like I miss my nieces and nephews and I, I miss my grandma and you know and so it's it's hard for me to to think of that and so it's a good thing I have you guys as my friends to help me and to help me remember the good things I mean I think like to show our first show I was so hopeful do you guys remember that when we started when we started producing our own shows and I was like oh I'm so hopeful now and now I'm just like kind of sad so yeah Don do you have something to cheer us up with well uh, what you <clears throat> I mean you know if you know for me 2020 was uh was incredibly hard you know it uh shortly after you know we locked down and and started dealing with this pandemic my mother caught covid and and passed away and and um and that you know that, that's hard it, it's hard you know and now we're over what yeah i don't know what the latest number but i'm assuming we're over 300,000 deaths in in the united states with you know um with roughly 3,000 people dying a day i mean and I don't think we needed to be here. Um so it 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 was tough. You know, I was on sabbatical when it when it hit and so when I came back to school in August, I had to learn how to zoom. And I I had to learn how to conduct a zoom class. Um that was difficult. Um so you know, yeah, I'm glad we're at the end of 2020. Um and you know, I think that uh you know our our uh, youngest um our youngest child graduated from high school uh didn't get to actually you know have a graduation party didn't get to have a prom um didn't get to experience all those things and now she you know went off to uh University of Iowa and has been back in town now for you know a little over th 3 weeks and and um you know hasn't been able to actually move back home yet so yeah 2020's been profound and 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 Mar and I have uh spent more time together in the past 2 3 months than than we have in you know 30 30 some years raising our raising the kids and so we're getting to know one another and her and I too have been uh doing what Luz was doing we've been going through um clearing out stuff you know she, she 
every day she'd bring up a box from down in the basement of papers and uh, we would rifle through those and we drove to the Union Gospel and uh, they're looking for men's clothes so I went through a lot of my clothes and you know we delivered like eight bags I mean who has eight bags of clothes right um, and the other day we drove to the post office in Roseville here and and uh, the post office is right next to the regional district building for the Salvation Army. And we were both in shock to see hundreds of cars that were looped around this building because they were having a food drive. And just, you know, to hear about it on the news, to, you know, you know, you would hear little news clippets about it and whatever, but to actually drive by and see that. And so, you know, was was shocking because we've been, you know, we've been trying to help out as much as we can um, to those who have been less fortunate. And, and you know, so through all this, um, you know, I think the what what brings me hope for 2021 is the fact that, you know, as I've mentioned, I'm, I'm retiring. And, and, um, and so with that thought, with that idea of retiring, there seems to come this freedom, this, this freedom, this feeling of, of shortly being untethered. And, but it brings an excitement because it actually, I, it actually makes me feel like I now have time to do what I've done in my professional career, which is which is around the issue of social and racial justice, um, but to be to be in a situation to be untethered from everything feels empowering and refreshing. As I look toward what I can do in 2021 in the state of retirement, so I'm actually encouraged um it actually kind of lifts my spirits up and um and i'm really looking forward to 21 because 2021 because it cannot be any worse than what 220 was see that that's the point that's 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 the the exact feeling don you just said it that that is at the impetus of of these bug out moments right that this outdoors is getting in nature it's getting away from 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 folks is this idea that what we thought was tethering us to jobs to 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 ways that we felt like we had to, I mean many folks got to completely look at themselves and go wait a minute I've been struggling for all this mess and and, and we've are enduring this hardship now well I mean all I can do is go up right I, there are so many folks who I've actually seen in 2020 um, go back to these business ideas that they had or these these ideas for things that they actually wanted to do in life because if if life can get as hard as it gets as it has been getting for folks those who have faced death those who have faced joblessness if it can get down to that point then why not do the thing that actually does bring me joy and try to make a go at that thing I've seen a lot of that happen um, because it, it, in ways that that hadn't happened in other spaces so that untethering I think is is definitely something many folks are going to bring into 2021. But let's not forget that let's not forget that that it could get a lot worse for people too. Yeah. True indeed. So Holly, you you had mentioned your disappointment with the spending bill, the COVID spending bill that was just approved um, by Congress in the last day or so. And while it is a big disappointment, I share a disappointment that it's only three hundred dollars a week and then a one time payment of six hundred dollars for those who are are eligible and it's nowhere near where it needs to be. Notwithstanding, there were some positive elements of that spending bill that I think are worth uplifting. The first of which is that it restores the Pell Grant uh, eligibility for those who are currently incarcerated. So we can now look to having folks who are in correctional institutions have access to Pell Grant money to attend college classes. And when we think about the importance of rehabilitating members of our society, that's a big part of it. So that brings me hope. The other part that was included in the bill 
is a creation of the National Latino Museum in DC as part of the Smithsonian. Uh, you know, in terms of our community, Latinos in Minnesota, in the U.S. rather, there are about 60 million of us, which is just under 20% of the U.S. population. We're the second largest ethnic group in the country. In 1994, there was a Smithsonian report that found a pattern of, quote, willful neglect, end quote, about the U.S. Uh, uh, Latinos history and our contributions to this country. And it was a last minute idea to add it to the bill <clears throat> because it, uh, it was a bill on its own, but uh, Senator Mike Lee from Utah, who's a Republican, uh, blocked a voice vote earlier on the museum saying, and I quote, an array of segregated, separate, but equal museums for hyphenated identity groups are being created by doing this, right? So, um, it's just nonsense what, what, what his objections were. So folks added this onto the spending bill and it's now a part of uh, that investment in our community that is gonna be critical in terms of understanding our history, but also for educational purposes, being a part of that. And members in our community, both locally and nationally, including within Congress, have been working and lobbying on getting this museum established for decades, for nearly three decades. We know that the last museum was approved was the National Museum of African American History and Culture, and that has been a phenomenal contribution to the Smithsonian collections and a purpose for which uh, a lot of folks then go to D.C. and, and uh, tour the museum and learn more about the history. So when we think about that spending bill, yes, big disappointment on uh, the practical level of the unemployment benefits that were extended, but still there's, there's some good good content in that bill that gives me hope uh, and excites me going forward. You know, on, on that bill, this is actually one of the areas that gives me some, some, some forward hope thinking about, you know, in connecting to this awakening, um, for lack of a better term, that folks seem to be having after George Floyd. Um, that, that particular piece of that, of the bill for the Latino uh, history museum was, um, it was a bipartisan idea. Right. And so that that block by that one senator also comes at a time when we have other folks who who from the same party who are who were like, no, we're 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 backing this. And that I wouldn't have seemed in, in, in the space that we entered into 2020 as as, as um, what's the word as um, um, uh, partisan as we've entered into into there to see something like that have you know, some, some support on both sides of the aisles. I didn't expect it. I didn't even expect this bill to pass, <laughs> quite frankly. Um, so that in and of itself is is, is something that, that brought me a little bit of, uh, made me go, stop back and go, huh. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, and then, and then some of the appointees uh, and names that he's brought forward, President-elect Biden. So thus far, we have three, uh, nominees who are Latinos, Dr. Miguel Cardona, who is currently Secretary uh, Education Commissioner in Connecticut, uh, is being put forth as Secretary of Education uh, for the Biden administration. Alejandro Mayorkas um, has been nominated for the Secretary of Homeland Security, and that's going to be huge in terms of all the issues and the scope of the work of that department. And then lastly, Javier Becerra, who is coming from uh, California has been nominated to be Secretary of Health and Human Services at the national level. Um, I mean, we've got a whole whole lot of firsts um, in these nominations that are coming up in 2021. That you know, again, there's, we have to go through the confirmation process, and that's going to be its own thing. But you know, it, it's 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 amazing to me that as we look at these these firsts and at these. Um, you know, it, it's a diverse group of folks, both in age wise, gender wise, and of course, uh, racially and culturally, too. The one that's got me the most excited and interesting and even having to go back and look at, at what the um, <laughs> what the Department of the Interior actually does. So I'm going to need that civics lessons from from you, Luce. 
Um, but we have um, our first native, um, and I know, correct me if I'm wrong, is she the first native appointee to a presidential cabinet period ever? Ever. 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 Yep. Mm-hmm. ever. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So not only is she, if she's confirmed, will be the first Native American woman, Native American and woman named to a presidential candidate, but she'll be the first Native American to head up the Department of Interior. There have been, um, there have been, yeah, Representative Deborah Holland, I believe she's from New Mexico. Um, and, you know, that is significant because um, the Department of Interior oversees the Bureau of um, Indian Affairs. And the Bureau of Indian Affairs historically has been the federal agency that the Indian problem has been shifted to. And and it's huge. That's big air quotes. Well, <laughs> big air quotes, because prior to the Bureau of Indian Affairs being in the uh, Department of Interior, it used to be in the Department of War. So think about that, right? The Bureau of Indian Affairs used to be in the Department of War, but now it's in the Department of Interior, and it holds and regulates um, all Indian lands that are left in this country. So the tribe that I belong to, the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians, our land is in trust. That trust land is managed by the Bureau of Indian Affairs. All all Indian lands in the United States are managed by the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And when I say manage, you know, People can't see my face screw up because the Bureau of Indian Affairs um, have supposedly uh, managed that land for us. And I won't get into a whole long litany of how they mismanaged that, but the fact that for the first time in this country's history, we actually will have possibly, if confirmed, a Native American person named to that post is historic. Um, because she comes from, coming from Indian country, she understands the complexity of that, the, uh, of interior and its responsibility, and coming from a Native American perspective is going to allow her to be able to kind of look at that agency uh, and be able to hopefully right that ship and actually begin to correct um, the relationship that we as Native American people always kind of assumed we had with the federal government. And uh, so Indian country was ecstatic when uh, we heard Biden with this selection, as well as I think every other community of color, because you know, he is putting together a pretty diverse cabinet to, to come in, uh, which is what he promised he would do. Um, and so hopefully um, his uh, selections will be confirmed. You know, that's what we can hope for. You know, Don, I, I share your enthusiasm and, and there's so many people that are just over the moon with uh, Congresswoman Holland's nomination. But at the same time, I read things like that and I think it took this country nearly 250 years to come to that, right? And in addition to the the management, as you said, or oversight of BIA, um, it the Department of Interior manages and sustains Americans' lands, our water, our wildlife, and our energy resources. And so it is incredibly important for someone with her background and her commitment to our resources, our natural resources, to head that in addition to everything else that you said, right? So like many BIPOC folks, we have so many different dimensions to us, right? We're not monolithic at all. To be able to have the talent and the experience to put this forward is critical. So the three historic nominations that I reference, you reference one. Um, I can't help to think though, Haley, how we're, we're, 
I'm thinking the, you know, uh, Asian Pacific Islander commu uh, community is kind of like, you know, hey, let's step up, right? Um, there, I know of, of uh, just a little bit of, of what uh, that looks like, and it's my understanding there's one nominee. Yeah, I think, I mean, the, hmm, I don't know how I feel. Um, for, for some folks, I, f I feel like, and I don't know if this is true about the Biden administration or not, but it's like checking off boxes. And that's what I'm really nervous about. And I know I'm being a downer again, you guys, but it's like, you know, uh, oh, we, we got Kamala and she's, you know, part Asian check right um and so i i'm i'm tr i'm hesitant to celebrate a whole ton just because i i i need to feel some authenticity um in the nominations and and also because i'm nervous about you know um the next step of them you know getting getting the the go-ahead from from congress that that they'll be the ones selected to do the job in the long run. I mean, I, I maybe I'm being overly cautious, but I'm trying. Um... Well, Haley, if if the previous administration, the the administration that's hopefully on its way out, they were able to select individuals to these cabinet posts, who, um, from my perspective weren't because, well, yes. I mean, across the board. And, and, and actually, you know, selections who, who, like for interior, came from a frame of mind of, of uh, exploiting the land, exploiting, um, you know, taking away measures to protect our national forests and parks and our rivers and our streams um, by putting in oil um, lines. I mean, so there was a whole slate of individuals who many of us in this country didn't feel were, that had a particular political interest in exploiting whatever agency they were put in charge of. I mean, and so I, from from that perspective, I don't feel Biden is checking boxes because he's bringing in qualified individuals. So, and not only are they qualified, but they are reflecting as we have known as BIPOC uh, people for years, there are many qualified individuals from our communities who could run these posts. And Biden is finally selecting them. So from, you know, I don't feel like he's just checking boxes. You know, I really think that um, that he's bringing in some qualified individuals who, you know, from the other party's perspective, may not share the same political ideologies of the administration that's leaving. But from from but from the perspective of of the majority of individuals who voted for this incoming presidential candidate um, are supporting many of the shared, I think, same beliefs that we have um, in terms of uh, how these things not only prospectively should be looked at, but hopefully how they should be run for the betterment of all Americans and not just a select few who uh, kind of benefited in this past administration. And I'm talking about that top 10, 1% of, of Americans who, who got richer while the rest of us, you know, kind of skated yeah, through. I, I think my pause that I'm trying to, maybe this is because of everything that's happened in the last year slash four years, um, to try to be a little more cautious in in the sense that sometimes we feel as communities of color, like the nominations, um, oh great, you know, this is so wonderful. And then we get super, super excited. And I feel like we're always disappointed at what happens next. And I, I, I don't, I feel like maybe I'm protecting my heart a little bit and trying, you know, not to get heartbroken again. Like I was 
Thanksgiving show when we did it. I was like, yes, hope, life, wonderful. But but is that not specifically in, in, in all the conversation we just had so far and weighing all the different ways that the, the nation moves politically has always moved um, out of step with the nuance and experience of folks of color on the ground, regardless of party, regardless of political persuasion. And so we we have to take the wins always with the grain of salt, right? For me, it's like every time we get together for a family reunion, every time the Galloway clan, the Berries, all the families that are here, we get together for a family reunion, we can love and, 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 and have a good time celebrating the fact that we are family together. But we can't ignore the fact that the very reason we have to get together in the way that we do is because of 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 the ridiculous institution of slavery that 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 brought us to where we are. That's always in the backdrop. So no matter what, there's always that through line of of all the things that are the residual energy from that. So so I have to, you know, even locally. Right. We had the first black mayor in St. Paul. Right. Great, all that, right, and and it all, and and that has to be at the at play, while at the same time it wondering why it took us all to the two thousands for that to happen, regardless of all the success, um, successful successful and qualified folks around. So you know, to me, I when we get into this whole question, I'm 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 always curious that folks of color are are having trouble finding hope. We've got hundreds of years of demonstrating that we can find hope in the middle of a pile of crap um, and still figure out a way to make something out of something, right? I can come from a place, you know, 2020 is a perfect example for that for me. In the beginning of 2020, we had a lot of great hopes. We started a whole new business venture right before COVID hit. And so at the beginning of the year, I'm planning on on moving my family to a different level um, in, you know, in, in being an example in community and all these kinds of things. And by by um, April, by the end of April, I'm in the unemployment line with everybody else because all the contracts went away because of COVID. And then slowly crawled back into a into a space of of keeping that business idea alive and not having to figure something drastically different out. So so we can do that, have done that year after year after year. How do we not find a way to say I have this caution. I have to hold things accountable. I have to make sure it's not a checkbox. But I still have some things that we get to work on now that we didn't get a chance to. We weren't going to have a chance to work on had we not, you know, had the things we had to face in 2020. So that's that's where my head is. I at. think you you're you're one of those guys who's who you. I mean, you see it the glass half full, right? Um, in that sense that you're saying that the, that for generations we've seen hope. For me, and maybe this is just my messed up mentality, but. For me, I'm like, for generations, we've survived. And I don't necessarily correlate that with with having hope or being optimistic. But but I can see how you can see that. Yeah, it's about holding that tension together, right? It's that holding that tension together that, Haley, you're referring to, Anthony, you're referring to as well at the same time, where it's it's the trauma that, you know, epigenetics has in our body in terms of the generations preceding us. It's the trauma that we live on a day-to-day basis as BIPOC, hearing the disparate impact that COVID-19 has had on our lives, on our li- uh, loved ones, and nationally in terms of our communities on a larger scale, but also realizing that our ancestors demand more from us to not allow us to to uh, get ourselves and lose ourselves in uh, a web of despair. And so being able to hold these, you know, this tension and this dissonance uh, at the same time really speaks to us uh, being able then to go forward. I'm Luz Maria Frias with crew members, Don Eubanks, Anthony Galloway, and Hali Lee. You're listening to Counter Stories. I'm Luz Maria Frias with crew members Don Eubanks, Anthony Galloway, and Hilly Lee. We're, we're still struggling with this, and it's a good struggle, right? It's a struggle that represents what our lived experiences are. It's a struggle 
that we see in the media. It's the tension we feel when we're talking to our relatives, to our, our loved ones, our neighbors, on how this is all unfolding for us as we are in the moment, right? It's the, the tension we see when we read news articles and listen to reports on, on radio about what is going on with our lives. Uh, and continue then to, to have some of that to work through um, and ultimately, of course, have us look up and look out into 2021 for something much more positive. Uh, I'm going to share one more win in our community that just was published today within uh, the last couple of hours, which is California Governor Gavin Newsom has appointed the California Secretary of State Alex Padilla to fill the vacancy left by Vice President-elect Kamala Harris uh, in terms of Congress. It is the first ever Latino senator representing the state of California, and it's the statehood's history of over 170 years. Now, mind you, California was Mexico. Come on, come on. California was Mexico (laughs) before it was part of the U.S., Yes. So, yes. you know, our community is looking at this kind of like it's about time. And I know there was tension there because there was a lot of public pressure on Governor Newsom to appoint um, an African-American to fill in on Senator Kamala Harris's seat. Right. So we know that and we know that there that raises that tension that we often see in our BIPOC communities where folks are, unfortunately, we're we're still pit once against each other, right? We we are often fighting for a slice of the pie rather than looking up and looking back and saying, you know, forget the slice of the pie. We want the whole pie. We want access to the entire pie. We are not satisfied to being relegated to this short slice and to compete against each other, right? It's repositioning how we look at the dynamics of what dominant society has traditionally defined for us. And it's incumbent upon us as members of the black, indigenous, and people of color community to redefine that equation and say, no more are we satisfied with that slice. We're coming in for the full pie. Well, along those lines, um, I need to remind you in your exuberance, Luz, that California, before you say it belonged to Mexico, was actually Indian country before all of that. And, and, and see, and that's just those nuances yeah. in history because, um, you know, our people were there. So before these conquering other countries came in that still was Indian country. And so even in that story, we get lost. I and, hear you. And, and keep in mind that in for our community in Mexico, our, our population, our indigenous, our original population in our country are indigenous folks. It wasn't until the colonizers from Europe came over Right. And colonize us, right? So we're 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 good, Don. I mean, we're, <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. We we're going to try to get in here too. We're going to try to get in here too because we're talking about a nacional mestizaje. We're talking about a mestizo nation that is inclusive also of black captive Africans who yep. are in that space as well. But exactly. it's 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 exactly this ability to be able to laugh and be like, "Oh yeah, let's 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 remember all of the nuanced pieces that are happening here." That is makes these um the perspectives of color that are coming into these positions of power to be so important because these are folks who are going to you know who at least on face value now we still have to hold folks accountable to you know to bring in those perspectives in there and it's not easy there's a word called hegemony this idea that when you join a system regardless of how much you want to be Outside of that system and the way that it usually operates, that system pulls you in over time to have to 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 deal and tussle with with getting stuff done within that particular system. So so a person, an Alex Padilla, a, a Kamala Harris. Let's 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 just be clear. Anybody who we call out to say, hey, there's all these firsts. We're breaking these. Catherine Ty for U.S. Trade Representative. Regardless of all the hopes that we bring into 
into this about, you know, these first, that person still has to deal within a system that we've talked about over and over again, um, does not, it makes you have to run 10, 10 times faster to get something done. That'll take the same idea um, that you have and have it come out of somebody else's mouth and all of a sudden get traction. I mean, those don't go away just because these, these picks are here, but there's a hope that there's a nuance that's going to be brought to bear in this way that we haven't had the same way in the past. And that is a reason to be excited. And that, you know, and, and that's what I mean, you know, when I said that they're bringing this perspective, because anyone who, who fills those posts is responsible for all Americans. It's however that they're bringing a perspective of, uh, to that those positions that have those perspectives very seldom are brought forward by our counterparts who come from the dominant culture. So I spoke in terms of perspective because I've been in positions like that and you represent everyone, but we can do it with that unique perspective, knowing that we, knowing that we, we catch those nuances in those rather large systems that rely on many other interrelated parts. But, you know, in terms of hope for 2021, you know, I think that that, that, you know, that's just part of it. And that's, so, you know, these announcements are, are giving me hope because it, it, it could mean that at least those perspectives will be there if they're all affirmed. Right. And and that's the next thing, because we do have a two party system. And right now there's an election coming up in Georgia that's going to be extremely um, pivotal in terms of how many of these picks may or may not move forward. I think there's going to be leftover from the administration that's leaving if we can get through, because, you know, that's very concerning on many people's mind. I, I never in my you know, well, in the short time that I've been on this world, uh, sixty-six year, you know, revolutions around this, around this, uh, this earth, son, that um, that not once have I ever heard of a an administration even entertaining the thought of um, martial law to overturn an election. I mean, I can't even believe that 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 that's even being talked about you know i i mean it's just so it it's just so it just blows so many of us away that this is even a legitimate discussion you know that the fact that someone even brought it up <laughs> but don don this is this is important i think you're you, you make me think making me rethink using the word hope for what we're discussing here because in my conversations you know in both my family and in my communities we have um we have a <laughs> we have a pretty um, mixed group, uh, racially, culturally, but also politically, um, who have had issues across many different administrations. And that's important to understand that communities of color have had a, a, a difficult relationship with, you know, in a two-party system on with both parties. We look at, at policies put forward by, by, by Democratic um, um, leaders in this country, we have huge pro problematic issues uh, with indigenous and sovereignty rights that have been very different um, in 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 Republican administrations, where where there have been some decisions that have been better for sovereignty rights, so 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 it's it we got to have that complication. That's what communities of color are asking us to do is to get more complicated. So to do in in that vein, Lee, what you brought up in terms of of half full, half empty, um, really made me think of does that really describe me? And I think about the Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock coming on the Saturday Night Live, um, in the last election cycle. And they did this beautiful, this beautifully comedic, brilliant sketch where you had folks who who were supposed to re who were representative of, of liberal mindsets um, who were so downtrodden. And Dave Chappelle is like, this is it, it's Wednesday. Like, it's just Wednesday for yeah. black folks. Right. Right. There, there, yeah. There's, there's yeah. we don't we don't we don't rise and fall in these in these ideological shifts in the same way that dominant culture does, because our challenges have remained consistent 
and it just and it, the nuance of it changes, right? And in the '90s, when on one hand you got folks in, in my own com- community who are praising and trying to give honorary black status to Bill Clinton because he apologized for slavery from the presidential seat, while at the same time we have the proliferation of some of the 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 the, the laws in the in the in the in the crime bill that was locking away stuff folks for years uh, extreme huge disparity in the ter- and, and I know that term just go look at Ava DuVernay's 13th and look at that right there hasn't been a huge difference um just the nuances changes in our issues with the different parties here and I think that has to be explained as we have this conversation about what's happening in the administrations and all of that that people of color indigenous communities have always had complicated relationships regardless of what party's there and we have a healthy critique of all sides that's right. And when we, we think about going back to what Donna said about perspective, the perspective is important, but in addition to that is also representation. You know, when you think about Marion Wright Edelman, uh, she says, and she's a noted civil rights um, icon and stepping off of the Children's Defense Fund at the national level, it, she often says, if you can't see it, you can't dream it. And so being able then to show indigenous communities and indigenous children and families that it's possible to have someone lead the Department of Interior. Heck, when you think about how many of us have even thought about what the Department of Interior does before that nominee, you know, that nomination, and just bringing that awareness to our communities uh, to be more informed and actually more engaged. And going forward, I would imagine that we are all going to be looking at these appointments, to your point, Anthony, as well, with more accountability in mind, right? Yes, you are in that leadership position, and how is it that you are now doing your job differently? How is it that your lived experiences from one of our BIPOC communities is going to inform your work such that it is different than what has historically been done in that office, right? That it's not just a rubber stamp type of position, that they can use their lived experiences and their connections and social capital and network in our BIPOC communities to begin to inform so that those policies and the systemic barriers that that have been pervasive historically have have the opportunity now to be re-examined and quite honestly dismantled at the same time. You know, what comes up for me as I hear you say that, Luce, is is there's there's a courage, there's a courageousness piece that comes to mind when I think about the accountability. Right? Yes, we gotta hold folks accountable, but but there's also a a sense that the folks that come that 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 folks now are much more willing to to bring issues to the table that we have shy, either shied away from or been unwilling to have. And that's another thing that's carrying along with me when you talk about that representation is, is the hope that's, that some of the folks who are coming in. So when I think about Deborah Holland coming in, this is a woman who grew up, uh, she's Laguna Pueblo. Um, she's experienced some of the most extreme um hardships that come in that particular that come from that particular community and now it's coming into office with that to me that brings a, a willingness or, or that brings a, a level of of courageousness with it that i think is going to be very important and and i think we're also in a space in 2021 that this the whole international response to george floyd is bringing a willingness to take up some issues um that we haven't been willing to from a church background let me bring the church into this, right? So I'm a progressive. I'm coming from a a, a Christian, uh, a part of Christian of the Christian community that's much more progressive, right? We only ever seem to talk about Christians when it comes to to very conservative evangelical views. We 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 forget that there are a whole lot of other Christian folks um, who have different who who are different space. So I, I'm excited about the diversity of Christian voices that are coming, but in Minnesota. Um, not only has the president, has the Council of Churches elected a black woman as its president, um, but they came out with a statement um, that's a, um, a truth and reparations three point plan. Um, and it, it's a 10 year project that's been approved by the by the uh, Minnesota Council of Churches. 
um, that's going to look at diversity, equity, including inclusion in in congregations, reparations to BIPOC communities for the harm done by, and they name it as by white supremacy in Minnesota. Like, I did not think something like that was going to happen or that folks would have that conversation. And right now, there's a three-point plan that's out there in work from an interracial group of congregations across the state that are wanting to have this conversation. That's another thing that I'm seeing coming in 2021 that I didn't expect to be the case. And so there's another there's another layer to this that's coming up for me. That's why, and hope may not be the right word, but maybe maybe optimism is a little bit better and maybe uh, a level of confidence that's different. Maybe maybe hope is the wrong word, but those things are also happening locally. See, I, I need you guys. I need you guys to remind me of these things <laughs> because you're because I mean, you're right. Right. Um, I have seen like my nieces get really excited about seeing Kamala, you know, and just and, and you know, as I, I don't have any kids and so I don't see this every day. But um, you're right. They it is giving them this opportunity to, to see themselves in these positions and to learn about these positions that we as kids never learned about. Right. I mean, we learn we kind of learn about them in elementary school, um, but we don't really know, like you were saying, what each department does or what all these positions mean. And when, you know, when my sister gets excited about the person being <laughs> appointed to, you know, uh, the Department of Interior, then her kids see her excited and they want to learn about it. And so there is this new learning, I think, and this new kind of social studies, civic um, lessons that I think our, our younger kids are learning now that, that we may not have had before, and especially as children of, uh, as a child of refugees, right? It, was, it definitely wasn't something that, you know, we weren't getting that much in school, and it wasn't something that my, my parents fully understood, and so it's not like we were um, looking at them and seeing that we could fill these, you know, someday fill these positions as well. Uh, and I am seeing, I think, a lot of, and I, I know it's going to sound bad and, and down again, but I, after the murder of George Floyd, a lot of different organizations and companies were like, we're going to take a look at this. We're going to take a look at our practices and what we do within our organizations and our companies. But diversity and inclusion have been buzzwords for a while and they're in so many different organizations you know strategic plans as we know where where our podcast started right it was in their uh plan uh but then when it came down to the the money it was always the first thing cut so again me protecting my heart maybe um and, you know, I mean, I've been contacted by different organizations like, hey, maybe you could come in and help us with this or that. And then when I'm like, oh, this sounds so great. And they're really trying to change things around. And then I come in and I'm too real and I'm not invited back. Don, you know what I mean? I know exactly <laughs> what you mean, because I just had a conversation like that a couple weeks ago. And um, uh, an organization who I will not name. Uh, contacted me and and for the same type of thing they you know they wanted to kind of rebrand and you know re reexamine their relationship with the indigenous community um, and it you know it started with you know it, they were going to do the Midwest but um, so you know and the conversation became clear that one I was going to be the only person <laughs> they were reaching out to speak for the entire indigenous community but two um once they started once the individual started explaining to me what it is that they wanted me to do um it became i was totally aware of the fact that they were neglecting all this other stuff the op and and that is what you know last our last podcast we talked about being our authentic selves and when we are, we end up talking our way out of these things because we're real. And so I was being real with this individual and I haven't heard from them since. And, but, you know, hopefully it will be 
part of a, a learning process for them and and it would and hopefully that individual was taking what was said back to their organization and having one will hope that they're having further conversations right Haley I mean hopefully the next time they approach you it will it will be it will be a more of an honest effort because when they step away from us that quickly that tells me they weren't doing this for the right reason right they were doing it to make themselves feel good and we called them out on it and well i think what happens don and, and you could probably all of us could probably attest to this is when we do go in we're asked to bring this perspective to help coach or lead and when we're too real when we're too authentic to ourselves and we're not invited back, what I often find is that they invite another Hmong woman in <laughs> who who does say what they want them to say, right? I mean, this is the same thing. I mean, anybody listening to this, if you, you haven't listened to our last show, please do, where we've talked a little bit about this of like, you know, um, I may not, they may need somebody who I fit their, the demographics for, but if I don't say what they want, they can always find somebody who fits the demographics that will say what they want. And, yeah, and that, that happens, you know, I, and I can't disagree with you, Hilly, that happens. But, you know, I, I think I don't lose sleep over that um, and just move on. And it, but the difference is, is that my livelihood isn't tied up into it now. And so... You know, and 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 so there's That's a, a different untetheredness. It, that you're talking it, about. Exactly. So you know, the fact that I'm going to retire and have a retirement income, I'm just I'm becoming untethered. I could, if they don't contact me, fine. <laughs> I'll go. You know, there'll be other there'll be other opportunities, and then hopefully someday that organization will reach a point where they actually are honestly wanting to do that kind of work you know 2020 was so hard and but 2021 to me brings that hope that that um you know and in some of our other podcasts we talked about that groundswell that happened as a result of george floyd's death and that groundswell you know were i think was part of this you know this whole is what is bringing me hope for 2021, right? Because you know, the, the work has to go on. And, and that's, it's that work. It's that work piece that, Don, I think you hit that right on the head because I actually feel like there's a whole lot more folks who are unwilling to play the, because uh, what, what you described to me, just to get my thoughts clear, right? Because there's so much coming to me right now, um, is is when you don't get invited back, for not um, for making folks too uncomfortable or going too far outside of what we think and what we can can grasp as our norm, right? We've been socialized in a particular way, and somebody comes and enters into a perspective that I, I it pushes me too much, and I want to go back to this comfortable place over here. There's a whole lot of folks of color who are no longer comfortable making things comfortable for white folks. Just, just to, for lack of a better, better term, right? Folks are, are like, I'm not gonna do twisting all these knots for somebody to get uh, my lived perspective. I'm just gonna give it to you, and you're gonna get it how it comes out, and you're gonna get it raw and direct in the same way it's and, and closer to what it looks like in community. I would say, want to clarify that closer to what it looks like in community. But I'm much more willing to do that work and define my work in that way. I'll give you one example. So, so in this political process, uh, one of, uh, uh, Amy Klobuchar was, was called out for a decision around the Mayan Burrell case. And the community called out the decision in that case as, we were, as the vetting was happening for president. When, when Amy Klobuchar was a Hennepin County attorney, her office presided over the case of, of Mayan Burrell, who was later to be found out was, was, um, was wrongly convicted. Um, and so, uh, leaders, Leslie Redman in particular, the NAACP in Minneapolis and in local local civil rights leaders were, as she was was running for president, were drawing attention to to her handling of that case. And that drawing attention led to continued dialogue with Amy Klobuchar 
um, which had her speak to the family and, and brought her into a space of actually taking this up and revisiting this. And, and it was part of a whole lot of organizing from many different communities and vantage points. There were folks in multiple racial and ethnic communities who were speaking out on this. And Mayan Burrell was recently released after years of being in prison wrongfully. And there are so many other cases, and we know what the Innocence Project continues to, to, to look at this as well. But that kind of courageous, unapologetic call in um, an invitation in to, to work on stuff is an attitude and, a, and, a, and, a, and an air of positivity that I, I think is going to also be part of 2021. This is where people are sick and tired of, of, of trying to just work in a system and keep folks comfortable. I think a lot more folks in 2021 are going to be willing to just call it like it is, but stay at the table to work on it, which is something that we haven't been, have a good history of doing. A lot of folks will call it out and they'll lob in the grenade and then walk away just for the sake of having lobbed something in there and not do the hard work of staying with it until we get results. Anthony, I'm so glad you used that example. And I know we're almost out of time here. When we think about Mayan Burrell's history, you know, he was wrongly convicted for uh, allegedly killing Taisha Edwards as a, a young girl. And at that point, uh, Amy, Amy Klobuchar was not uh, in Congress and she was not running for president. But during the presidential trail, as you, the campaign, as you duly noted, she lifted that case up in, in some setting, uh, showing, you know, her her ability to put uh, criminals behind bars and and the local community just went up in arms. And that drew national attention and international attention such that there were a number of researchers that looked into the offense and concluded that there's no way he committed that crime, right? There, and, and that led to additional pr public pressure locally uh, here to push the governor and the rest of the members of the pardon board to allow him then to commute his sentence at that point, right? And I think about the other example that you also referenced was the truth and reparations that the Council of Church is, is running. And, and you and I were on, on a, co a committee or council that led to that work and that final conclusion. And I'm hoping that we can invite uh, the leaders from uh, both uh, Elder uh, Stacy uh, Smith uh, as well as Curtis DeYoung, who runs the organization. But think about it. It's named Truth and Reparations. And we know that at the national level, this country has had just a deaf ear and willingness to talk about reparations, historically speaking, right? Even though it's long overdue. And at Congress, H.R. 40, which was introduced uh, over 30 years ago in 1989, was introduced and has been introduced every single year since then, wanting to just have Congress study the prospect of having reparations in this country. And we can't get that bill out of Congress. It, it hasn't passed. Um, all that to say that we are in a time where we can begin to leverage the momentum, you know, carpe diem, seize the moment, right? That we can begin to be excited about the possibility and leverage the momentum that we have now. And quite honestly, because we are still in this lockdown phase with COVID-19, it's allowing us to be much more strategic and much more focused and intentional on embarking on these endeavors. And what I, what I often say is, we need to have this strategic fearlessness. Mm -hmm. And at a time when we have no other distractions for us, you know, we don't have sports at the major level, we, don't, we can't travel internationally, um, and you know, we shouldn't be traveling domestically according to the CDC, you know, when we're talking about large vehicles such as planes and trains and stuff. It's, it's different for you, Anthony, as you're social distancing and isolating yourself with your family as you travel. But if that is a blessing, you know, just my final comment along those lines is that is a blessing that in my mind comes out of COVID-19 where we've got the worst of circumstances, but we can also pivot that 
and make it positive and leverage that for the betterment of our community. Well, this has been Counter Stories. It's been another incredible uh, conversation with uh, my people, my Counter Stories crew. I'm Luz Maria Frias. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General for the state of Minnesota. Don Eubanks, Associate Professor at Metropolitan State University and Cultural Consultant. Anthony Galloway, Senior Partner at Dendros Group and Executive Director of Arts Us. And I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group, and I just wanted to remind you all that as we are working with Ampers to get ourselves back on air again, you can find everything you need to know on our Facebook page. Um, and we are also um, taking questions and um, topic ideas from you all, so check us out on Facebook for that information. Thank you, and we'll see you the next time. Be well and be safe. This program is a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the other media group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.